Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and get started, guys. We want to we want to honor your time because we want to we want to be out. We want to start on time and get out on time. I know some of you have to go mow your yard. Susie, Susie needs to go mow my yard. And I, <laughs> but uh, I just want to thank you for coming. Um, there'll be people coming. I mean, I've got Hudson's car tried to overheat, so he may walk in or. You know, you can't depend on Hudson anyway. So when he comes in, we just need to cheer, uh, make sure we embarrass him. But uh, I just, I just want to uh, thank you for coming. I, I just want to let you know that uh, today's event started uh, months and months ago when I was having a conversation with Jason when I was writing the book, The Baptism of Innocence. And all of a sudden, he became really, really smart. So I quoted him. And... Uh, so he gets no credit in the book, except he's only getting credit now. But um, he he really started giving me some things that he's been learning. And he, he was just able to, to, to take uh, education knowledge that he's, that he's working on. He's going to introduce himself and tell you what he's been doing. But basically what he said is, man, you can find every one of these principles in Scripture. And so that's what he's here today for. And he's going to... Uh, teach us how to read our Bible better, how to communicate with people better, and how to learn better. And uh, somewhere along the line, we can ask questions, and you'll find out that Susie and I sat down last night after a day with him and went, are you sure he's ours? You know, so we're, we want to we wanna tell you he's ours, and we're proud of him, but I want to introduce to you Jason Kyle Coker. Um, and so the, the topic is perspective transformation and this idea that you learn to flourish by making sure that you align your beliefs and your actions together. And the main premise here is that a lot of times we are unconscious of, of our actual beliefs. And so what we say we believe is different than what our actions say. And we're, we're, we're unconscious of it. I mean, our brains cannot consciously make decisions because we, we end up, we have to do things by habit. And so the goal over time and as we mature is we learn to assess ourselves and make sure that our real beliefs and who we really are inside comes out in our actions. And that's where that's alignment. That's where we flourish. We feel authentic and we can be our best selves. And so... I want you to stretch yourself today. If I do my job well, you will be a little uncomfortable. Not a lot, not a lot, um, but a little bit, okay? And um, my main area of focus uh, is more of an organizational setting. Um, so I'll, I'll go and I'll show you what, I'm, what I work on. Uh, but it's really this idea of being able to continually learn and transform yourself at an individual level, but also at a collective level, whether it's in a, in a workplace, you know, if you work in real estate, if you work in construction, um, I work in a bank, if you are at a church, right, and you're a minister and, and, and you lead a church or you're part of a, a, a church organization. I also work with the YMCA, nonprofit organization, you know, and we continually need to be able to learn and adapt in order to stay relevant. Right. And those are skills that we we need to have. All right. 
something was overdue. That's not good. All right. Um, so I want to think about this. Uh, it's a quote here. It says, what you see depends not only on what you look at, but also where you're looking from. All right. So if you read that, I'm already going to make Kevin Max. I'm going to ask you guys to answer. Um, when you read that, it, what you see not only depends on what you're looking at, but where you're looking from. What does that say to you? Perspective. Yep. Anybody else? Look from your heart. Okay. Looking from your experiences. Our experiences determine, the positive or negative, determine how we view and how we interpret. Absolutely. The way I like to look at this as is, is if it's a lens. We all have a lens that we are looking from, that we are interpreting our experiences from. Right? How many of you have been in a church service, been in a, 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 a business meeting, um, been at a family reunion, and you have this idea of how it went, and then you talk to somebody else that was at the same place with you, and they, they express it in a completely different way, and you're like, were, were we at the same place? Right? <laughs> like, my dad's like, I preached the greatest message. Yeah. <laughs> right. Why, why so many changes? Why so many different ideas? Is because we come from a different perspective. Some of us are looking from our heart. Some of us are looking from our head. Some of us have had positive experiences with that situation. Some of us have had negative experiences. And that's how we all interpret it differently. So it's important to understand where we are looking through and knowing what lens we have on at that time. And the challenge is it's very hard for us sometimes to actually realize the way we're looking at it. And so part of my goal today is to help you raise your level of consciousness of how you're looking at things, right? And to challenge yourself to say, is this the best way to look at it? Is there another opportunity? Right? And when we do that and we look at it and try to look at it from multiple angles, we can say, okay, now can I make the best decision on how I'm going to interpret this and how I'm going to actually decide how I'm going to behave based on my interpretation of it? You say that so many times that's relational. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, many, many times you can't do that on It's a relational Right. Yeah. She, she's talking about, um, if you didn't hear, uh, she's not, a lot of times it is relational. Um, and I will, I will agree with you that, um, the main skill we're going to talk about is critical thinking and the research that I've done and, and the person that I follow their framework will say the same thing is that most of the time critical thinking is best done in a social setting because it is very hard for us to do it by ourselves to get out of our own mindset, right? And we need other people to help us, 
right? And that's where we grow as a community and we can have that inclusion and we can challenge ourselves. Um, the screen's a little small, so I'll walk through it. So I'll just give you a background of where I come from with this and, and why this is important to me. So as a um, budding educator, I, I'm getting my PhD in organizational leadership uh, with an emphasis in adult education uh, and workplace learning. And so this concept that uh, the workplace is a place where adults learn. And the area of my main work is called the learning organization. And so it's this idea that an organization that continually learns and transforms itself in a way that allows everybody involved to flourish, right? And it's based on this idea that change is happening all the time and our learning needs to either equal or be greater than the rate of change. All right, I'm going to say that again. In order to thrive or even just exist, our learning, which is a, either a change in our belief system or a change in our behavior, has to equal to or be greater than the rate of change. Okay, What happens if it's less than the rate of change? All right. Think about it from a work standpoint. How much changes are happening in the way that we work? Right. And that's for me, uh, you know, from a, a workplace learning standpoint of talent development in jobs. All right. We no longer can start in a trade um, or very rarely we still can do it in certain instances. And nothing changes over the course of, of your career. Okay. I mean, even if, you know, in construction, new materials, new ways of doing it, we're constantly having to learn ways to do it better. And if you're, if you learned a certain trade, lighting, I remember, I mean, when I was in the lighting business, we still sold incandescent light bulbs. That was our main light bulb that we sold. I don't even know if can you even, can't even buy them anymore. Right? So that evolution. What's that? <laughs> yeah. So what I look at, and my mission really is to help individuals and organizations develop this culture of learning where they're able to continually learn, adapt, and transform themselves. And the research shows that there's a few things that are necessary for that to take place. Number one is a really good climate, right? People need to feel safe to challenge themselves to be open to talk about different ideas. Uh, you also need good structures and processes that allow you to critically reflect and to think about different ways. And then the third thing is you need leadership that reinforces learning. Okay. So one of the goals I have, and I, I do this at my current job now, is I, as my leadership and I work with my, my managers, is to build this in the environment and how am I helping contribute to create a great environment, to put processes in place where we're willing to look at things from different perspectives and to challenge ourselves and to grow. And then the other part is to research and work with organizations and individuals to help them create these um, in their own lives. And so there's a survey instrument that, that I use, and you can actually access it through uh, Harvard Business. Uh, 
And I, I put a couple of the questions uh, on here. It's going to be hard for you to read. So I'm just going to read a couple of them. Think about whether it's your workplace, whether it is your church. Uh, there's a couple in here about a manager. If you want to think from a church, think of, think of Charlie. All right. Um, but I'm going to read these and think about your environment and yourself of how you would answer these for yourself. People are comfortable talking about disagreements. Differences in opinion are welcome. People value new ideas. People are interested in better ways of doing things. Okay, here's one. People seek out dissenting views during discussions. Sometimes we label them as the troublemaker. Okay. Now here's one. Think of either your manager. Think of. <laughs> we're already. We're. They're already identifying who is who. Right. Now, at, if it's at work, think of your boss. If it's at church, think of your pastor. If it's at home, think of your parent. My manager, leader, or pastor acknowledges their own limitations. My manager or leader encourages multiple points of view. And points of view that are different from their own. Right. And the last question, and there's a lot of other questions that go into different aspects of this, but for our, our topic today, the last question, and this is where this idea of perspective transformation really hits home for us. It says, do we frequently identify and discuss the underlying assumptions that might affect key decisions? When we make decisions, why are we making those? Right? And do we ever ask ourselves at home, at work, at church, why are we doing what we're doing? What is the source of information or the source of influence that makes me think that's the best behavior or best decision to make? We, the reality is, is we don't ask that question very often. We're... We work off of habit, we work off of instinct, and we, we work off of our unconscious or subconscious belief systems. And rarely do we actually challenge them. Right? So that's what I want to work on today. And I believe that if we can learn this skill of perspective transformation, this type of learning, the skills of critical thinking, we're going to be better able to really understand what is the source of our beliefs and the source of our actions and be able to critique when it's the right one that we really want or when are we living based on the influences that we actually don't want, okay? This is a liberating skill. It is an emancipatory skill. It can be for our own thinking, right? But it can also be when external forces are influencing us, right? And so that's the power of this type of learning and to be educated 
in this way of doing it. We become liberated and not controlled. I just watched a, uh, a Netflix video or um, a documentary, and it was called The Social Dilemma. And I, I haven't gone back and researched the, the background of it yet, um, but it was very interesting. And basically, what it, uh, it was a documentary, and it interviewed VPs of all these social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, all this stuff. And basically what they're saying, is, and, they're, and they have a negative view, right? So they are taking a negative view of social media, is that the algorithms and the, the AI behind it is all designed to influence you to stay attached to it, right? And the reality is, is we feel like we're in control of our, our feed, but the algorithm behind it is pushing things to persuade you to behave a certain way. The question is, is are you aware of that algorithm, of what's in your feed, right? And we can take that to anything in our life. It's other people, right? Uh, it's the influences from our past and all of those things. And, and the more that we can become aware of that, we can gain control of our thoughts, and this is a, a challenging thing. I've milled over this a lot when I first heard it. We are not our thoughts and our feelings. Think about it for a minute. We are not our thoughts and feelings. There's something that we have that we choose to allow to determine what we do and how we feel about who we are. But there's something below that of our authentic self that wants to come out and we've got to learn how to realize all of these influences that are coming at us. Okay. And learn how to say, I'm going to live my authentic self of who I truly am, whether it's in our work life, our spiritual life, our family life, any of those areas and be willing to challenge ourselves and do that. And it can be difficult. All right. So what's the definition of insanity? Right. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, right? So in order to change our situation, we need to change our behaviors. And my focus on this is, the reality is, is realizing that your behaviors are determined by your belief system. And if we're not always clear on what that belief system is, we never challenge it, and therefore our behaviors don't change. Okay? <clears throat> so guiding questions for today. What do my actions say about who I am and what I truly believe? Okay? What are my guiding values? And again, this is where I'm going to stretch you. It doesn't have to be these big, um, you know, what is my value when it comes to my knowledge of God or my belief? It doesn't have to go that deep, right? It can be as simple as what do I believe is the best time to go to sleep and the best time to wake up? It can be that simple, right? What is my morning routine from the time I wake up to the time I get to work, right? What do I decide to watch on TV? What do I, how do I decide to spend my money? Right. And so it can be very, very practical. It can be very deep. 
My suggestion is we're because at the end of this, we are going to practice and give you a chance to experience doing this. Start with something simple. Don't go all the way off the deep end into the most uh, depths of of thinking or a, a very a real critical thing. Learn to build your skills with this, um, and so we'll we'll practice it. Right. Um, so the goals for today is this is not to tell you what you should believe. It is about building the skills that will allow you to understand what are your beliefs and what are your biases, to learn how to critically assess and search for different ways of thinking. Okay, and then from there, help you learn how to decide on what your course of action is going to be. And it's, it, it, all of it comes down to what I call taking informed action. Are you deliberate with your behaviors? Or do we do it just because we've always done it that way? And I never really asked myself the question, why do I do that? Right? And this is to get you to ask that question on a regular basis and to get comfortable asking that. Sound good? All right. So that was just the preview. Now we'll get into the actual agenda. Um, so yeah, so beginning, we're going to talk about the foundations of uh, perspective transformation. So it's really the, the foundations and then the background understanding of it. Um, then we'll take a few minutes and talk about the power of why this is so powerful. Um, and then we'll take a, a break. I know that those of you that go to church here are used to the two-hour sermons. So I know you have the ability to, to sit that long. <laughs> But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take a break. Um, and then after, uh, after the break, we'll kind of walk you through the process and give examples of what the, there's four steps. And then we'll spend some time and uh, have some worksheets. And you're going to pick a couple topics. And you'll practice this yourself. If, uh, if you have somebody that you're here with, you could talk about this from that social standpoint and talk about it together. Uh, if it relates to both of you and, and learn how to do that. And I hope that you do have a, a good experience with this. Like I said, it, you know, it's, it tends to be a little uncomfortable because you are challenging yourself. Um, you know, then we'll all have some fun. And then at the end, we'd love to hear some reflections. All right. Hudson's coming in, right? Ready? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks buddy. That's all that matters. All right, now that Hudson's here, we can actually start. So we, we've just been talking for a couple minutes. Yeah, good. All right. So what is perspective transformation? So there are different adult learning theory, or there's different learning theories. Um, and so the learning theory that perspective transformation is based off of is called transformative learning. Uh, it is an adult learning principle or uh, concept that um, really focuses on the idea that learning occurs when there's a change in belief. There's other theories out there about what learning is. And so one that's very popular uh, and that all of us live off of a lot is called behaviorism, where it believes that learning occurs when there's a change in behavior as a result of external positive or negative influences. Right. If any of you ever heard of the experiments with Pavlov's dog, right? Our whole in at work, our incentives systems 
um, or corrective action. Um, you know, all of those things are behaviorism where the idea is that external influences, whether positive or negative, is what will drive you to change your behaviors. Okay. And it is, I mean, it's a valid theory. We can also use that ourselves and be in control of it by saying, listen, if I accomplish this, I'm going to reward myself with something else, right? We're using external motivators to change our behaviors. Okay. And so it's a valid, what I'm focusing on more though, is our internal structures and our belief systems and how we interpret experience. Okay. And so the learning theory focused on here again, uh, says that learning occurs when there's a change in our behavior because of an experience that changed the way we view things. Right. And so the important part with this and, uh, the guy that, um, came up with this, he studied women going back to college and this was in the seventies and he studied uh, women and, uh, looked at their experiences and saw that there was this common theme that happened. And um, he, it, it was like 10, there's 10 steps. I won't go into all of that. I'll, I'll simplify it. But basically what he said is, is that there's some type of event, and he called it a disorienting dilemma, that shook their worldview and the way that they currently interpreted themselves, how they interacted in the world. Um, and through that disorienting dilemma, it caused them to critically reflect on what they believed, how they behaved, um, and they searched for a way to reinterpret themselves and how they wanted to interact. And by taking enough time and doing that, they changed how they viewed themselves, how they viewed, how they interacted in the world, and that's what changed their behaviors. And so it was really cool. You think about, you know, even in the 70s, you know, early on, women weren't going to college as often. This mindset that a women's, woman's place is in the home, men go and work. Um, women, not as many women went to college. And there's just these transformative experiences of, you know, women being able to become educated and, and all that. And, you know, and that's where it started now. And now it's expanded into so many other areas. Um, when we change jobs, that can be a transformative experience. Um, there's positive experiences, promotions, marriage, having kids, positive experience of kids going to college and moving out of the house. Um, depends on, you know, there are negative experiences, right, that transform the way we see things. And, but we all tend to go through that process where there, there's this disorienting dilemma that shakes us and we have to critically reflect, okay, how am I going to make meaning out of this new situation? How am I going to reinterpret my understanding of this and it changes my behaviors? Okay. What I'm going to challenge us with is most of the time we only change when there's such a big event that happens. Okay. What was what would be possible if we didn't wait for that big event to push us to be willing to confront the change, but we lean in ourselves and we search for those things that are not quite right, that are not as good as they could be, 
that we have that that feeling in us. It might not be that bad, but we just feel like, you know, we're not totally aligned with who we really are and search that out rather than waiting till it becomes such a burden that the only real answer is finally I'm willing to change. I mean, we hear it in in a Christian and in your spiritual life. Some people have to hit complete rock bottom before they're willing to change. Okay. Some people have to get such to the nth degree of extended credit that they can't pay their bills before they're willing to look at a way to maybe handle your money differently. Okay. Some people in their marriages, their relationships with their kids. Thank you, sir. Are only willing to change when it becomes so bad. What if we challenged ourselves when it was okay, when it was still tolerable, but we really looked and challenged ourselves to see how can we make it the best? Because that's the easiest time to change, you know, small changes to thrive. I think that's our challenge that I would like us to do is to get into that mode and over time use the skill that we're going to talk about today and go through whether it is your work life, your spiritual life, your social life, your finances, whatever it is that you want, and take a critical look and say, am I truly living who I am that's going to make me most fulfilled and and to live my purpose the best? Or am I settling for something less and finding out what that is? Now, for some people, take money, for example. For some people, that might be, I need to save more. I'm not valuing the importance of being prudent and saving, and I'm I'm spending my money on too many things. For other people, it might be, dude, get off your wallet and enjoy life. Like I said, I, I'm not here to talk about what you should do or believe or behave, but to practice the skills to make that for yourself and learn how to dig deep in who you are of how you can live your authentic self. I see this at work all the time, right? So I work for a bank. What does a bank what does a banker talk to customers about? Money. Can you believe I actually there are bankers that say, you know what, I'm really not comfortable talking to my customers about their money. It's true. It it happens all the time. You know, they're willing to help replace their debit card, provide them some statements and, and do things like that. Um the ability to help a customer succeed financially, you got to dig in with them, right? And so to truly fulfill your role in society as a banker, you got to be willing to go there and to have the skills, right? What if a pastor said, you know what? I'm actually scared to ask people to give their life to Jesus. right? But think about it. We do that all the time. We're in roles. We are in roles that to fulfill that role, there's certain things you got to do to feel good about it and to feel like you're, you're serving a purpose. But we limit ourselves from actually doing the behaviors, right? And we need to make a choice. And, and my conversation is, listen, there's, there's two choices. Learn how to lean into these behaviors so you can be successful and you can do it. Or change jobs, change careers, and find that thing that you can do to thrive. 
right? And it's challenging. It's hard to do that, right? <clears throat> I'll skip that. I went through already through some of these. So this is where the challenge is, is that, so this is a, a two by two matrix and it's called the Jahari window. Uh, it's pretty popular and it talks about, you know, how do we become self-aware and socially aware of what's going on? And the biggest problem we have of why we don't learn is because of unconscious biases and blind spots. Okay. So if you look at this matrix in the top left, okay, it says it's open. What that means is that I am aware of my thoughts and beliefs and so are you. Okay. There's that openness and transparency of how we think, feel, and behave and why we do that. Okay. On the top right is the blind spot. That means you're aware of what I'm doing and the impacts that it's having, but I'm not aware. And I lack self-awareness. Okay. And you know, how often, how often do we see that that, that happens? Thank you. Right? I mean, just yesterday we were talking. So me and my wife, uh, we read this book. And it, it, was time, um, it was a marriage book. And so halfway through it, you take a survey. And, and it's about the seasons of your marriage. And so I, I was a little bit further ahead. And so I wrote it down. And it said, I, I'm like, man, it came out for me. Man, I'm in the summer months of my marriage. Things are good. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Because, you know, I get accused that I'm not the most aware of what certain things are going on in the house. And, you know, with things aren't right, it takes me a little longer to figure them out. Um, but I'm sitting there stressing cause she hadn't taken the survey yet. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I hope she's not saying that things are really, really bad right now. Um, but luckily it was in line. And then I was, so I was telling my parents that last night. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not always aware of what's going on in the house. And my mom's pointing at my dad, same way. <laughs> right. But we all, listen, we all have, yeah, <laughs> we all have these areas that we have blind spots. Right. And I think that's to, to your point is so that we need other people and be willing to be open and say, OK, help me look at it from a different angle, because the lens that I'm looking for, things are cool. This is the right th way to do it. OK, so the challenge is, is that either you go to the bottom side of this and either we're in the far right and neither one of us are aware or our group or our organization isn't aware of what's coming down the line. And we just blindly keep going, right? Can you think of any companies or industries that kept going in the same mode and using the same technologies and the world passed them by? Blockbuster, there's a lot of retail. Yep. Okay, that's, yeah, I just read one on Kodak and um, Polaroid where I read the, the CEO was a chemist and... So the way that they did the chemistry and they made the, the photos and everything, and they believed that if they continued to build the technology using chemistry to make photos, that's going to be the breakthroughs. Completely blinded uh, as an organization of digital technology that eliminated. I mean, Blockbuster kept doing the DVDs when streaming was coming out, or the at first, I guess it started with the... Um, you know, renting, you know, the red box and all that stuff, you know, how often do we do that? We're stuck in a one way of doing things and the world is changing, but we're blind to that change and we're not willing to change and adapt to it. 
<laughs> now, the other reason why sometimes we don't change or our organizations don't change is that there's hidden things, right? So maybe we are aware and we have a different perspective, but we don't allow the other people to know it. How many of you have been in a meeting where someone is talking about an idea and you're like, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. But you don't say anything. And all of a sudden, the decision's made to go with that idea. Okay? It happens. And this is where, if we can learn how to have a good environment where differences of ideas are available, okay? that we're willing to look at it from different perspectives. People feel comfortable saying, hey, you know, I, I don't agree. I have a different idea, you know, and this is why I'm concerned with this way of doing it. What about this? And we're willing to have those conversations and our leaders are opening, open to listening to an idea that's not their own and look at it, right? And, and all of these, and that's where the skill comes in of perspective transformation and being willing to say, hey, I'm not sure this is one idea. Let's look at some other ideas and let's, let's go with this. What, what is really true for us? Absolutely. Cool. All right. Why is it so challenging to, challenge, to critically reflect for ourselves and our beliefs and as a group be willing to do that? So there's a uh, three things here is homeostasis, dissonance, and defensive routines. And those are all why, those are reasons why it normally takes this massive disorienting dilemma for us to be willing to change our thoughts, beliefs, and behaviors. Okay? Homeostasis, more of a biological term uh, from our physical bodies that things like to stay in a static state. Okay? Think of your body temperature. It's cold in here right now. Right? If you're cold, what does your body do? It shivers. It shakes. It gets you moving so you'll raise your body temperature. What happens if your body gets too hot? You sweat. That's designed to put perspiration on your skin to cool you down. Okay? This is the same thing with physical exercise. Right? Why is it that if you bike a lot, all of a sudden you see that your, your legs are getting more muscle on them. The reason is, is because you're putting strain and it's not comfortable and your body wants to be comfortable. So it increases its muscle so it can handle that pressure. So it's not as hard because it feels stable. Your brain does the same thing. Your brain is pushing to stay in a static state where it's not being disrupted. So you have these foundational beliefs that are ingrained in you that drive your behaviors. And when those are challenged or when you realize that my actions and my beliefs are, are not in alignment, there's this unsteady state and this uncomfortableness. Okay? And it doesn't feel good. We don't like it. And so what is our natural reaction when we don't, when we're uncomfortable with something? Yep. 
we run away from it. And that's where defensive routines come in. Okay? Think about it. If you know that you're not spending your money the way you really think you should, how enjoyable is it to balance your checkbook? Is that a thing? <laughs> or your layout, right. Okay, or, or to review. How I mean, you know, nowadays in your, if you have online banking, they have a, a place where it'll automatically tally where you spend your money. What percentage of that, you know, look at where it's going. Yeah. Now, when I look at that, right, so I look at my ledger, and it says Amazon a lot. For me, it's books. So when I analyze that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what I'm spending with Amazon. But when I look at it, it is to further my education, to further my learning, right? And so I've said, okay, I can, I'm okay with that. I can justify that. I still have the other things in place. You know, I'm not sacrificing this that's important to me because of this. So you have a wheelbarrow going to your mailbox? <laughs> yeah. He said, do I have a wheelbarrow going to my mailbox? Yeah. I, uh, Amazon's a regular occurrence. I mean, because I'll read something and I'm like, ooh, that's something I want to read and I'll put it in there and I'll order it. I mean, the, the two-day shipping is terrible. But, you know, I, I buy used books. So there's some awesome books out there that I can buy for a dollar, two dollars, five dollars and a couple dollars shipping and I buy a used book. I mean, I, I had a book that I just got and it was from a library at a naval base in Alaska. You know? Yeah. You know? But so we have to go through those and look at those things. Um, but we don't like to do that. Sometimes, why do we not want to step on the scale? It lies. Right? So, why do we stay away from some people? Why don't we go to, why when we go to church, we all, we automatically say, Ooh, this person needs this message. <laughs> it's a defensive routine. You know, I, I, I care about this person, so I'm going to send them this message. Right? <laughs> buy them the book. I'm not reading the book. I'm not going to read the book. Right? I'll buy it for somebody else. <laughs> right? So those, but those are all defensive routines because when we are going to read the book or get on the scale, when we look at our, our accounting in our, in our checkbook, we are confronted with things that say, man, you know what? Deep down, I know I should be spending my money on this or saving this or doing this, you know? I should eat a little different or exercise, whatever it is, right? But because that doesn't make us feel good, we stay away from it. And we go through and we say, well, I'm good enough right now. It's okay. It's tolerable. And we're, it's tolerable. And that's where we live. We live in that tolerant state, right? And we're only willing to change when it goes to a disorienting dilemma. When our health gets so bad, the doctor tells us, dude, if you don't change, you're not going to be here. When the creditor says, you're losing your home. You know, when your boss says, listen, if you don't change it, you got 30 days. You're not, I'm going to promote you to customer. 
right? Yeah. Then we're willing to change. So the goal is to not let things get to that state, to the point where our spouse says, I can't live with you anymore. Hmm. Right? <laughs> so how do we move forward and, and get to the point where we don't have to wait till it gets to that point? All right. <clears throat> so the power, the power of perspective transformation. Okay. So what happens when you're willing, when, when you think of transformation, when, so, when, when somebody, you hear of a story of somebody transforming themselves or a church transforming itself or a business that was able to transform itself. What are some ideas and images that come to mind? Change. change. What kind of change? What like so what kind of examples? Rebranding. Rebranding. Yep. Yeah, I mean it, it starts out as something a company starts out as something as one thing and it's able to change its entire direction and focus. I, I heard of a, um, a paper mill uh, who it was like 70% of its revenue was in the actual making of paper. And it made the decision to eliminate that part of its company. And it eliminated the mainstay because it saw where it needed to do it. It didn't line up with the way that we you know, you're using the forest and all of those things and its values were not in line with what it was doing. And it realized that it did not want to be in that industry and saw the opportunity in other, in other avenues. Yeah. I watched Delta Airlines do that in the Southwest and uh, can't think of the other one that's big there. I mean, the, the, the domestic carriers uh, became very successful. Uh, instead of the spoken wheel, they had a, a different way of operating that was much more successful. Yeah. Uh, Delta immediately started international. So they yeah. were totally, almost completely became the biggest international airline. So yeah. that was quite a yeah, there's a there's a current term. Um, I'm I'm seeing this word a lot now, and it's talking about pivoting, an organization being able to pivot and change to where this whole its entire underlying way of doing business. I mean, you can think of it from sales and marketing. You can think of it from a customer service standpoint, and you see the philosophies that an organization has and the way that it interacts with its customers. You know. Things change. It all just happened with COVID. It all just happened with COVID. Correct. And in thirty days, I worked for a company with over five thousand employees, and in thirty days it went to ninety eight percent of those employees working Well and, and, and here's the reality. Yeah, and I'll give you an example though of how a disorienting dilemma will get you to change. So if your company, uh, he's talking about his company was able to pivot to a remote workforce of 5,000 in a very short period of time. What if your company tried to do that and COVID wasn't an external influence and you just decided and, and the leadership decided, the CEO and the operating committee decided they wanted to go remote? 
how much more resistance would there be because the external influence wasn't as great? Uh, we had a work from home policy beforehand and in some divisions of management was against it. Yeah. And in some places, a person would have felt like they were being forced to do it. Right. <clears throat> the change in mindset. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's people who don't want to go back to the office. Right. Even when things get normal. Yeah. I, I did the same thing with COVID. I um you know, going to the gym and I had a gym membership and everything. And so uh whenever it all happened, decided not to go back to the gym for a while and then they ended up having to shut down for a little bit. So I started doing more of the exercises at home. And I said, you know what? I was on Pinterest. I'm like, you know what? The only thing I'm missing is a, is a pull-up bar to be able to do more pull. So, I'm, and I'm not the most uh, uh, mechanical or construction oriented, but I went and I got the, the poles and, and everything and I was able to do it. And I built a pull-up bar in my backyard. And you know what? The gyms are back open. I never went back because I learned that I loved this way of doing exercises uh, in my own backyard. And, and, and I really resisted. I wasn't happy that I was going to you know, have to work from home. And, uh, and, but it's really changed what I'm doing. And I never would have done it if it wasn't forced on me. You know? And so those are the examples of why. I mean, why do we wait until something that dramatic happens? Like the Zoom calls. The Zoom calls. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So you're saying uh, most people are resistant to change because the idea that there's a fear of loss of what's no longer going to be very fair assessment. And we do that a lot. I'm scared of what's going to happen because at least I know what I'm dealing with now and I, I, I can handle that. I'm not sure if I make this change, what's going to happen. And we fear the loss of the known now. Absolutely. And that goes back to where our heart is, how are we looking at it, and everything from there. Absolutely. So when you think of transformation, I, I love transformation stories. I'll watch YouTube videos of people's physical transformations, and you see this you know, six-month journey, one-year journey, uh, all of that. And so I think it's really powerful. And so when we think in our own lives, what are things that are possible for us that we could transform that way, Right? Because there is ways of learning that you just get better at what you're doing. And those are important. Okay? If you're a preacher, you can get better at what you're doing and preaching now. That doesn't mean you're transforming. And you don't have to transform 
if you're feeling good about it, you're just getting better at what you already do and within the mindset that you already have. And that is important. We don't want to negate those things. What I'm talking about is those areas that you say, you know, what if I really completely changed in these areas? We see it all the time. I, I love it. I mean, the stories around financial freedom, you know, health, our families, you know, our careers, we transform our careers. I know for myself, when, <clears throat> when I went from being a branch manager and I managed individual team members and I switched to becoming a manager of managers, that is a shift. You know, there's a, there's a different level of conversation. I'm no longer in the same vicinity with people. I'm no longer coaching to individual you know, banker customer skills. My entire world is coaching to leadership skills. And what happened for me in the very beginning is I was so comfortable talking to bankers when I would go to a branch, instead of coaching to the manager, I would go to the banker because that's what I was used to doing. And I was called, what's called skip coaching. And, it, and, and I was effective enough, but it wasn't my real job and my managers were not developing as well because I was skipping them and putting all the emphasis still on the banker because that's where I was used to. And over time, I had to transform myself to learning how to focus on the manager, right? You see this all the time when somebody goes from an individual role to becoming a supervisor, and they're no longer, their success is no longer based on what their job and what they did. Their success is now rallying a group of people to work well. And those are two different things. We end up promoting people because they're individually good. And the skill set it takes to be a supervisor or a manager is completely different. It's different skill sets. And it takes people time to learn how to transform and to do that. And what we end up doing is, is we promote people to a position of ineffectiveness. Because every time you make a turn and do a, a, a level of a job, the skill sets become different and your mindset, the way you communicate is different. And some people aren't willing to make or are able to make that change or realize they need to make that change. Correct. Yep. Peter principle. Absolutely. Yep. So this is the idea is that if we can transform and, and what I want us to focus on is how do we become our authentic selves and that we transform ourselves from our, our spiritual being. Okay. And allow that to come out in whatever role we're in. Okay. It doesn't just have to be in our spiritual life as a Christian. It can be our spiritual life as a banker, as a provider of insurance in real estate. That's the function we provide in society and the benefits that we can give. And if we're true to our authentic self and we're in the roles that we're designed to be in, we're going to have fulfillment and we're going to have success. Okay. The other part is how we relate to the world and, and look at ourselves in that, in that way. Right. And so changing our thinking to realize and, and truly reflect on that. Okay. And then the other part, and I already mentioned this is it's emancipatory. It frees you from being controlled, right? Whether, whether it's 
emotional, whether it's our own negative thinking or it is physical and personal where it's somebody else that is controlling you, right? Whether it is social media, what we're watching, when we can realize what those external things are and we can come to the realization we are not our thoughts and feelings, that we can decide if we want to continue thinking or believing that way. And we learn to have the power to change that. It's liberating. And that's the power of that. Right? And that's what we want to continue to do. Whether it's in our Christian life, within our walk, within our relationships with other people, within our careers. And that's that's like when you're fighting with your wife, if it's your fault, like it normally is, <laughs> you actually have complete control over yeah. Yeah. The way we look at it, that, that marriage, marriage counseling one on one. Yeah. You know, and, and this goes into both, and this goes back to the, the relational aspect of this is that, you know, there is a private aspect of critical thinking that we want to have, that we want to have by ourselves. But man, there's such a powerful aspect of this when it is in a public setting within people that do you do have trust with you think of this as amazing with whether it's accountability partners or you have that core group that you are able to be open with you know and hopefully it's your spouse as well um you know and we need those people because we do have those blind spots we are biased to ourselves right i mean when we think of assumptions listen if if something good happens to me Typically, I'm going to associate that is because I did something awesome and I'm awesome, right? If something bad happens to me, it's somebody else's problem. It couldn't be me, right? Right? So how do we how do we learn how to control that that natural bias? That we have. Okay. Now, on the flip side, oh, go ahead. so what you just said there is what I've been learning for myself is I have to be careful with the words that come out of my mouth before I say anything to that person. So I think if I say this, what's going to be the reaction or the action of that word or the repercussions if I say it? Yeah. So, yeah, and he's speaking about being aware that your words affect other people as well and being cognizant of that. You know, what we're talking about with this is all about emotional intelligence and having self-awareness of ourselves, how we think, how we believe, learning how to manage those things, but also being aware of other people and how we land on them. And a lot of times their behaviors are a reaction of us, right? Um, This one guy talks about we are, we are getting the results we don't want. And we don't even realize we're the one that caught in it. Okay. Now, at the same time, you can flip this around. Okay. Some of us, that if something good happens to us, but because of our negative self-image, it's not because of us. Because I'm not worthy or good enough to actually do anything good. Right? 
and having that proper identity in that true identity of who you are. Like I said, if, if you're more narcissistic, you're going to think you're the, the best thing ever, right? But if you have low self-esteem and low self-worth, you're not going to value yourself. That's awesome. You know, and I think that's important to consciously, like I said, we're, I mean, none of us are perfect. We all have our faults. My mom even says that when I make a mistake, she goes, oh my gosh, you do make a mistake, right? <laughs> yeah, she does it. Never. never. <clears throat> yeah. Choose your words carefully, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But no, but also seriously, this is where, in whatever state you're in, like I said, if if you are self-consuming and, and it's very much about you, there's a liberating aspect of this that sometimes it ain't all about you, right? Now, on the other flip side, there are times when it is about you, and it's up to you to figure out where are you at and what is going to allow me to flourish, right? To be comfortable in myself, to feel like I am living my best self because I'm true to who I am and the way that I interact in my environment is making a positive difference. Okay. And it's that ultimate win-win, you know, and that's what we need to do. And, and I, I do believe that this skill of critical thinking and perspective transformation can help us do that. Sound good. So we feel like we have a, a good enough background of it and the power that it can provide. Okay. You guys are doing really good. I didn't see too many people getting up. So I had planned for a, a, a little break. We were ready to have a, a good bio break and get some coffee and, and donuts and stuff. Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll take a 15-minute like a break, and then what we'll do is when we come back, we're going to go into what the steps are of critical thinking, and I'll walk you through that with a scenario. And then after we do that, you're going to have an opportunity to pick a couple topics that you want to practice this with uh, during the session. Sound good? We'll go through that. We'll keep it easy. All right. We'll come back in uh, 15 minutes. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So um, we had the. Uh, the more foundational knowledge part of it and the conceptual idea behind it. Uh, and now we're going to go into more of the practical uh, side and the application of how do you practice critical reflection um, and the skills that go along with it. And um, it's, it's pretty simple, but don't mistake simple for easy. Okay. Um, as we talked earlier, there are those, uh, the dissonance that does happen when your beliefs are challenged and you're challenging yourself. And so there is a little bit of that uh, stress that can come. Okay. So as much as possible, my goal is to help us, you know, keep things in a, 
in a comfortable state, but realize that if you're doing this properly, you will fill that ting, right? And so one of our goals that we want to answer for ourselves, okay, is how do I react and respond when I'm being challenged with my beliefs and when I'm challenging my behaviors, okay? Do I go into that defensive routine mode and I want to ignore it? Do I lean into it and I'm open, okay? Or do I run away, okay? So there's four uh, primary steps of, you know, there's, there's other models, but the model I use is from um, a guy named Brookfield. Um, <clears throat> he's an adult educator and he, he teaches critical thinking and there's four main steps that go into this. So each of you have a worksheet. So we're gonna walk through it and I'm gonna use a, a general scenario of a, of a fictitious person. Uh, to explain how this is done. Uh, and then you're going to get a chance to practice it. Uh, and then we'll have some time to discuss what was your experience going through this. Okay, because what I, what I hope that you can get out of this is that you get to experience what this process is like and you get to learn how it feels, how you respond and how you can learn to respond in a very productive way. It's just like going to the gym. Right? You ever think about it, if you've never been to the gym or you go to the gym for the first time in a long time, how do you feel afterwards? It, it's tough. It's sore, right? You can't lift a lot of weights, right? Or ride the bike for very long or you can't walk that, that long. So you got to start, you know, easy. And over time, if you do this enough, you'll be able to challenge yourself with more difficult things. Okay, but realize that if you're doing this properly, you will feel feel that little little ting, right? And the reality is, is you do this process sometimes unintentionally. If you know the decisions you have to make, like when you leave here today, what am I going to go eat? You're making a, a, a unconscious or conscious decision of where you're going to go have lunch. So you do practice this on a regular basis. The question is, am I consciously making good decisions or am I just going off of habit of the same things that I, that I always do. Okay. And then we talked about, this can be a, a private situation where it's something that's, that's very personal for you uh, by yourself. Uh, and it can be in more of a public setting, whether it's in uh, a family situation, um, a friend, or it can be in a work situation. Uh, so we'll have an opportunity in, in the second practice that you could pick a work scenario and think about something that in a business standpoint that at work that you're deciding or your team is deciding on and walk through that so you can experience how this can be used in a, a workplace application as well. Sound good? So uh, four steps. So the first one is to hunt your assumptions um, and your sheet will have all the questions on there. Um, so the first one really is about hunting assumptions and identifying what they are. The second one is checking them. Okay. The third is to search for alternatives. And finally is to take informed action and make a decision on how you want to behave based on that process. Yeah, we we'll, we'll go through that. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of walk through a scenario that'll give you an example, and then we're gonna you'll be able to practice it, and and I'll give you some some guides that you can pick from or you can find your own. But I'll I'll help you make some decisions on that. Sound good? All right. 
So the first step is to hunt your assumptions. So this is where you seek to discover the beliefs that influence the way you're acting. Okay, so and, and this is where every action that you do, every behavior that you have is based on something either consciously or subconsciously. And this is where culture comes in in an organization, right? You can have your stated what we believe on your wall. Okay, that doesn't mean you're going to behave that way. The culture of your group, the culture of your family, those are the unstated beliefs and ways that you decide to behave is what truly determines your behaviors. And so our goal is to get beyond what's stated on the wall of what we say we believe and get down to where our true beliefs really are. And that's where we have to hunt to, to really find what they are because we typically look at the surface. Okay, so two questions that are here is what do my actions say about my underlying belief? Because we can't always go of saying what we state we believe, we really need to look at our actions because that will tell us in a much better way what we're truly thinking about what the right course of action should be. Okay, the second one is what do I truly believe? All right, so we can take, um, take something simple. Okay, well, maybe not simple. Um, something practical. Our relationship to how much money we should save. Okay, and there's a variety of ideas. So take a person who um, lives a, what we call a frugal life, and they don't spend money on external material things, and they decide that with, you know, outside of their normal basic bills, that their most important thing is to have money set aside. Okay. So a person that does that, what are they saying that they value the most? Okay. Security, right? Money in what way? What? Some people just like that money. Period. Yep. It makes them feel successful, complete, secure. Okay, so what's their underlying belief of what a good life is? Okay, being wealthy. Okay, somebody said, someone said ego. Money becomes the source of their security. So their value in equating what is the good life is the foundation of having extra money set aside. Money equals influence. Okay. So that could be one way. The only question is, is that's more of how you use your money. Right? So if you're, if you're just collecting your money and you're saving your money, it's in you having that as a reserve is your source of security. Okay. Protection. Right? Okay, so that's hunting your son. And you can do that with anything. It's okay. Take a topic and you're going to find out, okay, what do I do concerning this topic? Let me get underneath to say, why is it that I do that? What is the underlying belief system that says that? That says that for me to feel good, I need to have extra money in my bank account. Okay? Because we don't know the future. We're unsure of that. Absolutely. Okay. So now the second one is to check 
those assumptions. Okay, so we analyze it to see whether they are as accurate as they as we think. Okay. It could. Yeah, it, we'll we'll get into that. So we'll we'll get into that when we look at alternatives. Okay. Now, because remember, what I'm talking about is this is an aspect that's going to allow you to flourish as a person to live your best life. Okay. So it it is about you right now and here. That can include how you interact with other people, right? And so we'll get into that when we get into the third um, process, okay? So check your assumptions, okay? Is to see where are they accurate and where did they, they come from, okay? So where are some ways that this person who feels that the most important thing is to not spend it on material things you know, not use it for experiences, but to save it, where could they have gotten that from? What are some different reasons or experiences that a person could come to the conclusion? Growing up poor, right? Maybe didn't have money before, right? What are some other sources of why somebody could think that? Yeah, watching someone else go through a situation could be uh, a reason why you feel that. Yeah, so somewhere along the lines, they were taught that to be a responsible person means that I save my money and I don't spend it on other things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How their parents taught them because of a parent's perspective. I mean, typically we do follow a lot of what our, our parents and the way that they did things, whether whether they taught it to us directly or we just observed it. That is a big influence. It could be cultural. Just how does your society, I mean, look at our society and how we use credit and consumerism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, differences of, you know, how do you pay for things? Do you pay for them in cash? Do you pay with credit? How do you, you know? Okay. It could come from your, your Christian beliefs or your religious beliefs, Absolutely. right? Okay, I mean, look at our, also the Old Testament talks about usury, not extending credit, right? Educational, it could have it been learned or not learned. I know the education systems today don't teach much about money. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so you see, we could have one person's behavior, but we just listed eight or nine different sources of what influenced this person to choose that. Okay. It could. And there's all different ones. And this is where it's all unique to each one of us. Now, the question is, is has this person analyzed, is this the best way that I want to handle my money? Okay. Um, is this a reliable guide for the way I want to live? Okay. Does it make sense? And is it true for me? All right. So this is where the best way to analyze if this is correct is to search different alternatives. And this is where we're like, ooh, this could hurt a little bit, right? So when we search for alternatives, we're looking at different ways of believing, okay? And by challenging our assumptions of why we do what we do. So two good guiding questions. What are the different ways this could be understood, okay? Are there other values that could be considered? Okay, so if somebody has a surplus of money, okay, and right now they choose that the best way is to save and put it in a savings account, okay, what are different alternatives that they could do rather than putting it away in savings? Invest it. Okay, so to put it in something that will actually grow and potentially potentially make money. Okay? What's what's another alternative? Yeah, that's a form of investment. So when you, when we say investment, what I would think of in my mind is you can buy, you know, into the stock market, bonds, real estate, purchase buy into a business, something like that. Okay? What is the other what is another alternative of what you could do with your excess money? Yeah, well, I was going to go shopping and actually buy some things that are material, right? Give it away. That's where I was like, invest it into the kingdom and give it away. Okay. Well, yeah, say that. Vacation. Okay. One of our family mottos that I, we still live to this day is what? Give your kids events, not things. So that is a belief system that says we value giving our kids experiences over buying them stuff. That's one belief system. Okay. Now that kept you from saving some money. Okay. So that's one option. Vacations is another one. I mean, I, I went through that as, you know, okay, do I want to, you know, do this or do I want to have vacations for, for my kids? It's all in how you look at it, right? <clears throat> okay. Any other alternatives? So we have originally, the original one is that we save the money. We talked about um, investing into some type of way that it could grow. We talked about buying some things and enjoying some, you know, physical uh, material things. Giving it away, I would consider that an investment in yourself, in your education, in some type of growth opportunity, investing it in education for your career to have some type of extra training for your career, 
Okay. Giving, we talk about, yeah, we talked about giving it away. Okay. And helping others. Those are all different alternatives other than putting it in a savings account. Now the question is, is would those be better ways? So think about what would be the underlying value of deciding to spend it on material things rather than putting it in savings? What value are we saying is most important when we would rather do that? Okay. <laughs> okay. Buy a new truck, Gucci loafers. We like the material things. Listen, uh, anybody, I don't know if you know, Deion Sanders. If I look good, I feel good. If I feel good, I play good. If I play good, I get paid good. So that's why I justify if I do buy something nice or buy a new suit. I say, listen, I got I to gotta feel good and look good at work so I can make some money. So I, I rationalize it and I justify it. And, and in some sense, there is some bit of truth to some of it to an extent. Right. But it's all what is what is it for you? What is deep down in you that makes me feel good? Now, am I buying those shoes because on my Facebook feed, all I have is this constant bombardment of, you know, buying this stuff to make me look good. OK. Or is it truly something that within reason is a reasonable purchase that I can make? I mean, I, I fight this all the time. I have these dueling urges that I do want to feel good and look good in, in my physical clothes. I mean, I do believe that we should dress the way that we feel good. Now, it might be flip-flops, okay? And if that's how you feel your best and it's appropriate to, to do, that's you, right? And we all have to understand that. Correct. Yeah. So talking about, you know, we give because there's a tax and investment. So you're still looking at the financial aspect of that. Right. Absolutely. What are, giving it away? What values are we really showing that when we decide that it's better for me and it's right for me to give that money away rather than to set it away in savings? I believe it's activating and spiritual All right. So kind of a, a mixed bag of, of, of a medium size of that because you're filling the multiple buckets. So if you're going to give it away, there is either it's I mean, it could be from the value of pleasure for you because it does feel good to give. And I think what you were talking about is there's also this moral piece in us that says we have a moral obligation as a Christian as a decent human being that if I have access and I, and I see that there's other people in need, that it is the right thing to do. And that's what, you know, the moral thing to do in some sense in our, in our inside of us, that's our moral obligation is to give it right. Well, we get conflicted in all this because we want to feel secure and there's a sense of security by having, extra money in our savings, but we also feel that it's important to give when we do have excess and we all of a sudden we have this strain and we got to figure that out, 
right? And for each of us, make that conscious decision on how are we going to do it. And there are values that are different. I mean, some people are completely comfortable to give it all away. I just read a story, a billionaire. I mean, he was a billionaire and his goal was to die broke. And he, he now, I forget exactly how old he is, but he's, you know, very old and is and he literally has zero dollars to his name now while he's still living. No. Right. And so those are the values that we, we think about. And so, you know, where you spend your money and, and how you use that excess money um, are important. Right. And so you have these alternatives that you can look at. OK. And the last one is, OK, now I got to make a decision. So now I realize my default mode for that I'm doing right now is saving it and putting it away. Um, I have these other alternatives, man, do I want to live a little bit and enjoy the fruits of my labor, right? And, and I don't know about Gucci shoes, but, um, you know, you know, have, <laughs> um, you know, but should I give more away? And what's that balance? And, and, and what is for me that when I really look at it, that I'm at peace about it, that I feel good, that I'm living my authentic self about what I view my relationship with money. And what is the right thing to do, right? And finding that alignment. And, and it's challenging. I deal with, I know for myself, I'm constantly having these swings of where, where it should go. And I'm challenging myself on a regular basis. One day, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I need to save more. And the next day, it's like, all right, yeah, I want to give it away. And it's challenging for me to find that happy medium, right? Because I do have these influences that are there and neither one of them are bad in and of themselves, but it's finding that peace in for, for ourselves of, of what do we do with it? Okay. Sound good. So we have a choice that we can, we can make. And at the bottom of your uh, page, there's this, I know it's really, really small, um, but I've expanded this and I'm looking at this. And so when we go through this process and we get to the point of, of making an informed action, uh, we have a, we have different choices we can make. We can either say, you know what, based on all of this, I'm just going to stick to what I'm doing. I feel like it is best that I continue to save and I'll continue to live in a, in a frugal manner and put it away in savings. And therefore, you decide that what you have been doing is the correct thing to do. And at that point, it solidifies where you're at and you actually become more stable in, yeah, in the behavior that you're having. Okay. The second one is you actually change your underlying belief and you're like, all right, you know, I'm, you know, I realize that I'm saving, but I'm not saving for the right reasons. And you're able to change your underlying belief to align with it. And then, cause you realize that your behaviors and your belief system under underlying are off. And so I'll give you an example for myself. Um, so I was working at, at the bank um, in my current role. And there are some changes that were taking place. And there's a way that we were, we were being coached and, and I just wasn't feeling it. I was doing the activities and I was having success. I was a successful manager, but it just wasn't feeling right. And I was off and I was twisted, conflicted. I even got to the point where I, I went to my boss and I went to their boss and we talked. I'm like, I'm just not feeling this. I, I don't think this is for me anymore. And I was wrestling with that and I was struggling with it and I couldn't come to grips with, with what my issue was. And I wanted to be an educator. I wanted to develop and train and, and do all of that stuff. And I feel like I just, it was off. 
And actually what I realized is it was in my head. I, was, I wasn't thinking that I could be a, a, a manager of managers in a bank and still be an educator. Okay. And so really my behaviors did not change. But what changed is how I looked at the job I was doing. Okay. And I said, oh my gosh, I've got 130 people that I'm responsible for that I have a chance to make a difference with every day. I have 50,000 customers that my team interacts with every day that I can make a difference and help those people succeed financially. And all I did was I, my behaviors never changed, but I changed the way I was looking at what I did. And it showed that, man, I, I am doing what I should be doing. I am providing value, right? And that helped me align that I felt better about the work. I, and I honestly, I didn't change any of my, my actual behaviors, but I aligned how I looked at those correctly. So the third option is where you realize that you have a, vow, a, a belief system that your behaviors aren't aligned with. And so you change your behavior to align with your true belief. Okay. So if you realize that, okay, you know what? My real value is that I don't have to have all of this extra savings and that it is best to save some of it, but to give more of it away. Or you know what? It is better to go out and have experiences with my family and with, you know, from a social engagement standpoint. And that's what a quality of life is. That's where I will flourish. Right? It could be, you know what? Not have as much savings and go back and advance your education and do something like that. Right. And so you now are changing the behavior to really go along with what your true values are and what you see as important. Right. The la uh, fourth one is you change your underlying beliefs and your behaviors. You realize that, OK, my security is in extra savings. I'm saving a lot of money. And you know what? I don't think that's the best way. To live my life and to truly live the best life possible. And you adjust both the way you're looking at things and the, the coordinating behaviors that go along with it. Cool. So we got those. Those are four options that we and, and again, we do this instinctively without even realizing we're running through it. OK. And what we and what we end up doing most of the time is the last one is we just ignore the fact of any of it. It's it's not worth taking the extra time. And I'm not going to want to wrestle with the fact that there could be a discrepancy. And so I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to reflect on it. And if anybody that comes around and makes me aware of it, I'm getting away from them. Right? So we keep doing the same things over and over, living the same life, getting the same results. Okay? And this is our opportunity to break out of that last one. Any of the first four could be appropriate. Okay. And my hope is, is that we, we really challenge ourselves to, to not stay in the last one where we ignore these. We're willing to challenge ourselves. We're willing to challenge each other, um, you know, to find that authentic place of who we are, what we believe is right. How can we be our best selves?
okay, and work hard to to make those decisions to align those beliefs in the in our behaviors. Sound good? Ready to practice? Yeah. Well, so questions, thoughts, comments before we move into the uh, next round. <clears throat> I kind of do a lot of this all the time. I overanalyze it. Okay. And I constantly roll. Now, we also, of course, we have blind spots too. Yeah. Um, so I have things that I don't see. My wife does see with my kids. But then also, <coughs> then we also have all those baggage that we drag behind us that also influence what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, and, and there's um, what he's talking about. If you didn't hear, there's you know he's talking about sometimes that we have this opportunity where we overanalyze things, and and I agree with you. There is a point that okay, I've analyzed it enough. Let me make a decision and move on. And I think the important part of that is most times we actually never get to the point that we make a decision. So part of this process is to analyze it and make a decision. You know, now it could take a while depending upon the the scenario, but at some point make a decision. If we're scared to make a decision, to put the stake in the ground toward, okay, this is who I am, this is what I believe, this is how I'm going to behave. If we never actually get to that point, we're missing that opportunity to live our authentic self. The other part you made was around we carry this baggage behind us. Okay? There is, you know, in most learning uh, theories, focus on our past experiences and what have happened to us is really what determines our learning, our belief systems, and our behaviors. Program, yep. There's, there's new research that's coming out that there is processes that if we can tap into it, and I was telling my dad this, that the academic world is starting to open up and to recognize that the rational world is not everything. It's one dimension. And I'll talk about this tomorrow as far as ways of knowing. There's rational ways of knowing. There's experiential ways of knowing. And then there's that intuition and faith way of knowing. They are all valid. Okay? You're starting to see more and more uh, academic work. Um, I study leadership theory. We're seeing more and more leadership theory that's talking about spiritual leadership, even in the workplace, that great leaders tap into the internal purposes that people have and help people bring that out. Okay. There's a, there's a learning theory called theory U that talks about, you know, four levels of listening and four levels of reflecting. Right. And, and the, most of them are all about the past. I talk to you, I tell you what I think, and you just listen and you hear it. We might debate about ideas from where our own perspectives are, okay? And sometimes, man, I'm really willing to listen and, and look at things from your perspective and have that empathetic. And then there's the fourth level, which we don't know much about, that I think the church can speak to really, really well, that the rest of the world doesn't know. And it talks about leading and listening from the emerging future. There you go. Exactly what 
Right, right. So when I read this, and like I said, I'm, I'm reading this in an academic setting and listening and saying that we have these blind spots because we're living in the past. We need to, to, to Roger's point, let go of what happened in the past and tap into what's emerging, what's coming. Yeah, I think there's there's multiple opinions and approaches to this. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll give you mine personally. Is that while I have a specific belief, I also recognize that not everybody comes from the same place that I do, and they need to come to the reality for themselves. And how can I help influence that? Because here's the reality: if most of you grew up in a non-Christian country and you grew up in a Muslim country, you would be Muslim. That's just, that's just fact. Okay. And, you know, we have to be sensitive to the environment that we're in. And if, if you are a person that wants to be adamant in, in that, you, in my opinion, you need to work in a workplace that has that stand. But if you work in an environment that is focused on diversity and inclusion, okay, that's not saying we have to believe what someone else believes, but we have to at least acknowledge that somebody has a belief different than ours. Not that we have to accept it, but we do need to be respectful. And we, when we become dogmatic in that environment, in my opinion, we lose a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is this would be a great topic that you could work through because if you have this, okay, man, I, I, I feel this conviction here. I could see there, there's a different approach to it. That's something that we all as Christians should have to work through because most of us work in a very secular environment, right? And we need to feel what is comfortable to us because I, I mean, I know a lot of Christians in the workplace that 
I mean, they look at it as an evangelistic place and they're very dogmatic in that perspective. And to the point is to me, it even turns me off because there's other things that are there that don't line up. And so, you know, we've got to be careful and sensitive to the, not saying that we don't have, we have to back off on what we believe. I, I personally, I'm okay with, you know, being comfortable in what we believe, but the level that we push it and demand it, um, is a sensitive topic, you know? And so I think we have to be sensitive to the environment. At least that's, that's, that's my perspective of it. Now, obviously in this setting, I can be much more, uh, emphatic on, on beliefs, but in a different environment, if I'm in a workplace and talking about this, that might not be there. But the important part is my question is, is somebody willing to work on their spiritual self and allow them to get there? Now, if I can at least provide that, that's an open door, right? That's an open door. It's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess for me, when I look at it, when w with my team, the way I look at it is I'll see people that are not engaged. Um, they, they're not walking around with a sense of purpose or a sense of connection. I'm asking them, Hey, how are you tapping into your sense of purpose? How are you tapping in to the connections with the other people? Right? How are you helping? I, I believe that the workplace can be such a great place to provide well-being for a person. I, I do believe, but 70% of people are disengaged in their jobs. If necessary, use words. Right. Yeah. 
and then there's a good balance and, I, and it, it, it's a skill there, there's a skill that's involved in, in doing that um, and I think this is that in and of itself is a great topic to reflect on and say for me what is the best approach for me to take in that situation I think it's a great topic to to mill through Right. Yeah. But if you know, right. Yeah. So you could be spiritual without being just a Christian ego. Right. Yeah, a lot. No, I mean, I, I mean, I'll talk about. It. I mean, because you know, it's fine. I work in a bank, and, and I'm doing this. Well, I also I went to seminary. You know, I studied biblical literature and the ancient languages and, and all of that. And every once in a while, they'll I'll throw out some type of biblical reference, and you know, and, and all of that. And you know, and so you know, they, they see that, they see, you know, where I'm at and they also see where I, and I'm, I'm open with where I came from and, and the struggles that I had in life, you know, and, and what I did to overcome those and, you know, and all of that. Um, but I think, you know, we're, we're in an age where, um, you know, we talk about change and as a, as a church, as a Christian, you know, how do we represent Christ? Okay. The way that Christ was represented from the church throughout history, we're in a different world, right? And new ways of presenting the gospel and to presenting God to, to the world can evolve and change. And uh, I mean, I know the church for a while, hellfire and brimstone was, was the cool thing, right? Nowadays, is that the best approach, you know? And so in some of those instances, you know, to what we talked earlier around an organization, and the church is an organization, it's a collection of people, right? in the way that we function, right? And, and the purpose that we have has to evolve. You know, it can't operate the same way because the world has changed. And so how do we still serve the purpose um, in the new environment, you know, with social technology and with the environment that the way it is, it's a tough thing. And this is where it, and one person can't have the answer. To me, the pastor can't have the, can't have the answer. We can't wait for, you know, the divine revelation of one person in the church to tell us because the, things are so multidimensional um, that we need the collective, uh, you know, involvement of multiple people. You know, that's why we have, you know, connections and partnerships and accountability and, you know, all that in a workplace. That's why we have structures and line and, and all of this to help balance and gain perspective of a lot of things. You know, life, life is complicated. You know, and, and the more that we can learn how to make sense out of it for ourselves, we can feel at peace with what we're doing, you know, and be willing to the point of, of wrestling with those things that are challenging. 
I'd probably say today, if you're not used to doing this type of analysis, might not be the best thing to, to try to, to practice with. Start with things that are, that are a little more simple and don't have such a big impact and learn how to do this. Uh, and then you start to tackle those bigger things. All right? Sound good? All right. Ready to practice? Cool. All right. So what we'll do is um, you have your, your sheets there that have the four steps and some of the questions. Okay. And remember that the idea is that you want to get to the point where you're able to analyze what your behaviors are, what those beliefs are underneath it, and look at different alternatives that could be possible and allows you to make a decision on that. All right. So you can start with a personal example. If you want to have, we're going to, we can do this twice. Okay. So you can find something that's more of a personal aspect if you want. Um, so I put some things uh, up here. So it could be, you know, from a health standpoint, diet, exercise, sleep, um, a relationship with a person. And again, don't go maybe to the, the hardest one, right? Um, your marriage, um, your parenting style could be one. Okay. Uh, I, this one is, a, I spent uh, the 2017, uh, my development focus for, for that year was my productivity and time management. I've always been pretty good at it. Uh, but I spent that year, I was getting ready to go back to, to school to work on my doctorate. Um, you know, to be honest, one of the things for me is I, you know, I, I am divorced. And I believe one of the reasons for that is that I did not manage the stresses of life very well between family, a brand new family, a young kid, the work responsibilities and my own internal conflicts. And that's one of the reasons, you know, why I, why I divorced and it didn't work. And so, you know, I, I'm remarried. I just celebrated three years. I wanted to go back to school and I was determined that I was not going to allow the stresses of all of these things to, to make a, an impact. And so before I made that decision, I worked on myself to make sure I had the ability to handle all the extra work and still make sure there's time for my wife, you know, and I had to seriously consider that. And so this is one of the things I did is what is my morning routine? What are, where do I spend my time, you know, and do all that. Your social media use. Um, I just updated my, my phone and it has a thing where you can put widgets on the front of it. And so I have the thing on there that will tell me how long I've been on my phone for the day and how many times I picked it up. Um, and so I want to be cautious of that. And so you can look at, you know, what is your media use, uh, the movies you go to, things like that. Cool. So take a minute, pick a, a topic. It doesn't have to be something up there. Those are just ideas. Yeah, just something you want to you wanna analyze for yourself. You know, and like I said, you might find out that, man, this is good. I'm, I'm good with what I do with this. And you can feel that much more secure, you know. <clears throat> So think about it. Let's take uh, 10 minutes and work through those four steps. And what I'm really focused on is not necessarily what the conclusion you made, but what was your experience of going through this process of challenging yourself to really look at the underlying reasons why you're, you do what you do. And if you have a question or anything, I can, you can come by.
All right. We'll come back. So even if you didn't finish, so again, this is practice. Today, today is about experiencing these processes, okay? Um, you're not expected to master this by any means today, right? So it is to, and, and like I said, in the beginning of this is how, how, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, all right? So think about it. I mean, think of anything that you do. When you first learned how to drive a car. Some people haven't. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. True. Right? But anyway, it, listen, this is a skill, and this is why I said, this is hard. This is why people don't do it. This is why we live off of our unconscious biases and we behave without even knowing why we behave that way. Because this is hard. Is this, could this, I'm going to throw a social issue. Is this why racism can still be so systematic in our system? How are we willing to challenge our assumptions of what we believe about race relations? Right? Are we willing to look at a different perspective? Yeah. So just take this process. In any, anything. Instead of making it a, a thing about you, make it a thing about a collective group. Anything. Yep, so. absolutely. It, can, it works towards any of those things. Now, it goes back to also, what is your position and how do you interact in that space? And can my position change? Yes. And, and that, that is the essence, right? All of this that you're doing here, if you decide what I currently believe is the right thing and you don't make a change in your underlying belief, that's not perspective transformation. That's confirmation, right? The only time that this is considered perspective transformation is when you decide the way I'm thinking is not the way I want to think anymore. I want to change. Right? Perspective transformation. Right? It's when, it's when you change your underlying premises of your belief. When you accepted Jesus Christ and you said, I'm going to follow him, you changed your belief. Okay, this is where the challenge of baptism of innocence. Do you believe you're innocent? I'm sure most of you feel comfortable saying, yes, I'm a Christian and I'm born again and I'm going to heaven, right? Do you consider yourself innocent? I, I, that's a stretch for me, right? That's what his new book challenges and that's why my, my little snippets in there because it challenges the way we think and it's uncomfortable right to look at somebody else's or a different way of doing something and I got to talk to a few of you I think we're realizing man this is hard a one it can be hard just to reflect on why do I do what I do because we don't practice that very often 
right? So what were some experiences? I mean, if you're comfortable sharing what it was that you wanted to work on, that's fine. But really what this is about is what was it like identifying why you do things you do? Anybody have something they'd like to share as far as what that experience was for them to try to figure out? Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and some of this, uh, there's there's some aspects that before we can learn something new, we have to unlearn something old. And so an, an aspect of learning includes unlearning. Uh, there's a change theory that talks about you have to unfreeze, change, and then refreeze. But unfortunately, we're not willing to unfreeze those, those models to be willing to change. Fear. It can be a, a ton of things. It, 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 it's hard. That, that, that's where that dissonance, the homeostasis, we want to stay comfortable in any type of disruption, our body and our mind and our emotions I mean, how many of you experienced some type of tingle when you're like, okay, why do I do, why am I doing what I'm doing? It's uncomfortable. That's where if we get comfortable doing it, we can learn how to handle that. Yeah, correct. I think what I would say with that is, is how are you defining feeling good? Right. You know, and that's, you know, and that's, that's the big part. And what we're talking about here, and I think what all of you are experiencing is um, those emotional things that come up that are challenging. And this is where growing in emotional intelligence, the difference between IQ and EQ is our ability to observe and manage our emotions and relate to other people's emotions and to manage those relationships is a form of intelligence, right? Um, and those, again, those things are not taught in school. You're seeing, we're, I'm seeing a, a big surge. Hmm? Yeah, so um, emotional intelligence. So there's a, there's, no, no, it's a positive, right? So emotional intelligence is the ability to identify and manage our own and other people's emotions. Okay, again, I'll go back, and this is the challenging part. We are not our thoughts or our feelings. They come from a lot of places. Now, there are physical 
urges. And in our mindset, we have to ask is, are those something that I can either accept or not accept? Do I, am I capable of managing those? And research shows, and this is a more modern view of learning and, and all of this. I mean, the, the seminal work uh, on this topic was published in 1990. That's not very long ago. Okay. And you're starting to see in schools, they're promoting along with reading, writing, and arithmetic, the concepts of self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, empathy, perspective taking, social relationships, and decision making. And there's a big push. Uh, I just took a, a class this summer and one of the, she's a consultant that consults with educational um, states and it's called uh, social and emotional learning where they're wanting to implement teaching all of these things along with, you know, the regular curriculum because people are becoming adults and we don't know how to deal with conflict. We don't know how to communicate well. It's never taught. Okay. And that's where the, the challenge of this, and, and this is where new research has come out that we can change how we handle our emotional state, how we handle our feelings and manage ourselves uh, in that. And that's, that's a breakthrough because before it was, those things are fixed and, and there's nothing you can do about, about it. That's one, that's one concept. Yeah. That it's hard. It is. It is. But this is where, and again, this is why, this is why I say it takes time. I mean, I, I'm, I was trying to keep us in a very simple things that we can change easily because this is hard. This is hard, right? You guys just want to jump right into the deep end. Right. And okay. Right. Yeah. Right. So here, but this is how you have to think about it. Okay. If you say, yeah, right. But here's the thing. If you, if you haven't exercised ever in your life, okay. What's, what's real, what's realistic of what you're capable of of doing, right? If, if you've never gone out and rode a bike or done any type of, how many miles could you ride your bike realistically? Okay, you're not gonna go for a bike ride with, with them and ride 30 miles, right, the first day. No. Don't expect to do this. Don't expect me to bike you either. <laughs> you can't expect to go to those the depths of the hardest things that you have and expect that you can do that right now. And this is where it takes that practice and start with the easier things, the things that are more surface that don't have a, such a profound impact in your life. Learn how to do that. And then you'll work up to those bigger things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel you, man. You have this God who 
So you, you go back to, okay, God, then I'm going to rely on you to take my whatever away. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. yeah, right. So, but, you know, so you just, you just sting yourself in that, in that, I'll be able to rely on God to fix my issues. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's, it's one of those things where you have to kind of move over to action more than belief. You know, yeah. you, you, it's, it's a weird balance there because you can always go to God mm-hmm. on the floor and say, God, I have issues. Right. Please take my issues. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's hard to move over to, okay, God's on the Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, this is where I will, I put way more ownership on ourself. Um, that I believe that God takes us away by giving us the ability to restrain from from some of those things, right? And and there is a part that we have to do. I mean, to me, the biggest part of the Christian life um, is action. It's not belief. It's action. There's a there's a praxis to our life of what we do that only comes out through the actions that we do. Well, I, I would challenge just taking this process. I would challenge the belief that you think God's going to take it away versus God needs to be the surrender. Okay. That's it's a twist on the belief. Yeah. It's hard. It's listen. It's challenging. It, it, I mean, in this, like I said, this is this is where that process. And there's thing I, I who I was talking to. There are topics that I will work through this process that will take me weeks and months to search. Okay, why? And just I'll stay on the first topic. Is okay. Why? Why do I do it this way? What is really deep down that's causing me? And I can't answer that in a ten minute sit down. You may work on more one of these than once. Correct. Go back to the other one. Mm-hmm. Like working on one of these might make <clears> you realize, oh, that's what I should have been thinking over here. Like yeah. the process. Yeah. No. Yeah. You know, and this is. Yeah. And, and again, this goes back to this is learning how to learn. This isn't telling you what to learn. This is learning how to learn. Sometimes there's something we, a deficiency, right, that we see about ourselves and we're not happy about. We're like, I want to fix that. And so that's a different kind of process. But then there's the stuff that is kind of out of your control where you're put in a situation and you're like, oh, I didn't know that was a a deficiency or I didn't know that needed to be worked on, right? So your response is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I feel like there's like that, for those of us who are in the first, for the one side where we're like, I have this deficiency or I have this weakness and, and it bothers me, right? And I want to do better and I want to improve. So that's when, you know, I feel like you, you have to go, okay, you know, I, I'm, what is the definition of insanity, right? It's yep. the same, same thing over and over and expecting different results. So you kind of put yourself in this position where you're like, how can I improve this? You lean on the Lord, right? And, and, and there is that delicate balance of there, he, you know, there is what he has already taken but then there's also what is you you know what is the conviction of the Holy Spirit for me? What is my action to walk it out? To walk it out. To walk that out. Yeah. And so I think God in His mercy, um, for the other side of that, where we're found in positions where oh my gosh, I didn't know there was a deficiency here, where God in His mercy will put us in positions where we're we're made aware of that. 
right? And it's kind of yeah. out of our control. Yeah. And um, so I think there is a delicate balance there. Um, one time I heard of um, a famous minister, I can't remember his name now, but it was years ago. He said, change only comes when the pain of staying the same yep. is greater than the pain of, yep. of change. And that's where the disorienting dilemma yeah. right. comes so in. So what you do is you're like, oh my gosh, I have to change it. So yeah. I feel like a lot of it too is that God put strengths in us, like you're talking about like the feelings, right? And I don't feel like feelings are bad, and I believe a lot of what you said has truth to it, but I feel like that part of that is good, but it's um, it's a counterfeit, right? So God has to teach you, okay, I'm not trying to take your feelings away. I'm not trying to say good feelings are bad or children with feelings or whatever, but there is a counterfeit to that. So what is the healthy, what are, what is the good part of my emotions that God gave me as a human that makes us human because he's a God of emotions, right? So what part of that is good? And, and so that I can be free to tap into that. So what's the counterfeit and what's what's the good? So I believe that like when it came to learning, because I'm actually been diving into some of this uh, yeah. over the last few months, is that there are strengths that God puts in us, and they're good. But a lot of times what we wrestle, because we wrestle with that, so it's the wrestle, right? Like I want to be this, but I'm this, or you know, I'm God's mercy is putting me in this position, and oh my gosh, I don't, I, this is not good. So. What I'm learning is that I have like these bottom strengths that I wrestle with, and they're they're not what I'm supposed to be. There you go. God made me with these <clears throat> top strengths, right? And so what I try to do is reason with myself and make myself this person I'm not supposed to be. I'm supposed to be this. I'm supposed to be competitive. I'm supposed to be this. And I feel right because of pressure. And I'm married to someone who's like that. Like I have to be that to be a, a productive human being, right? That's right. So what I'm learning. It could be. It could be. So what I'm learning is that okay, let me find out what are the strengths that God gave me. Right. He made separate. Right. Who am I? What is, what did He call me to be? What is my purpose on earth? And so to learn how though I can be. I can correct those deficiencies when I learn and understand mm -hmm. what he made me to be and not try to operate and fix my deficiencies in, in my bottom strength where I'm not supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. One caveat I would want us to be careful with is don't just think that these are things that you have to work on when it is a deficiency. One of the questions we can ask and, and what I work on is no matter where we're at, how can we continue to get better? How can we continue to thrive better? Even if something's good, what are those little tweaks that we can do to make it that much better? You know? Wouldn't it be a good idea then if you have a list of things you want to do, put one of those things on your list? Yeah. Yep. Put on your list something nope. you're good at that you want to make better. My list is not those things. Yeah. yeah. Always negative. It's always negative. Always you're negative. Absolutely right. Yeah. Right. And that's what Steph is saying, really. Yeah. Pick a thing Pick a that thing. you're good at. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and start easy, right? Those are things that you could look at how to tweak things that you're already good at, that you have a. Hmm? They're both important. They're, right. If you make yourself better at something you're good at, you actually gave yourself more peace of mind. Correct. Yeah. And that was for me an example when I worked on my time management, I was actually already really good at it. Um, and so it was something I already had familiarity with that it didn't take a lot to really. 
That's pretty good. Well, I, I look at time management in a couple of different ways. One is there is a to-do list. Um, and then I also focus really on time blocking. So my day starts at four. Um, and my morning routine. Hmm? Yeah. 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 And I, I spend time, I start with, uh, time for my spiritual self and then I have a time for my studies and then I exercise. So by the time I go to work, I've already worked on myself and taken care of myself. I go to work, um, and I block out those times. And, and I've, I mean, I, I read over 30 books on productivity and time management and this ability to, uh, f have focused work, right? Um, the idea that I'm going to get more done in less time because I'm not multitasking. Okay. And I can focus and I can, I can change my, my focus from one thing. I can be done with it and then I can move to the next thing, but it took time. And I literally wrote in a journal every afternoon. I stayed on track. I got off track. This is why I got off track. And now, yeah. And now I'm automatic with it. It's shut yeah, it's learning how to show, not like I learned, I mean, people make fun of me because I, I'll, there'll be times where I'll, I don't know if you know, you can gray out your phone because your phone and the colors are designed to attract you to it. Hudson probably hates this part of it, right? But you can, you can, you can gray out, grayscale your phone so you only see in black and white and it's not that appealing to you. You can set your alerts to where I, like I have zero alerts, so I never know if I get a text message. Right. Yes. Yeah. I also choose to, to not respond to distract. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Right. You know, but I had to learn those things and I had to deal with that emotion when I had to pull and all of a sudden an email came up. Did I, did I just instinctively respond to it? Right. Or did I learn how to control myself that I'm focused on this? Okay. I'll get to it. I have time set aside to review my email. I personally, follow a zero inbox and every email, I have three different emails that I have to manage. Um, and I go to a zero inbox and I developed a process that, that I work through. And so, you know, yeah, <laughs> but that's for me though. But that's for me. Listen, my wife, we have the exact same job at work. We have a completely different process for me. This is how I thrive and work well. Right. And, and it's okay. We don't have to do it. Hmm? I'll, I'll let her share that one. Yeah. I sleep seven and a half hours every night. Yeah. I've learned. Yeah. But so, yeah. So this is an example. So this is an example of what I did. Okay. What do I do to maximize my time? All right. So what I realized is that at the end of the day, when I'm my last activity of my day, is to write out my to-do list and have everything cleared out. And I already know exactly what I'm going to do the next day before I shut down. And then I have however many hours in the evening for family and relaxation before I go to bed. Don't do all, I don't do work at night. And then when I go to sleep, I mean, I, I fall asleep like that. And, as soon, and half the time I wake up. Yeah, I'm dead in the afternoon. I mean, I, my circadian rhythm is early. So I, I've always been that way. And so I, I model my day that way. Yeah. But that's my choice. That's when I do my best work. That's when I do my best work. That's what works for 
That's what works for me. Yeah. Yep. Now, if it's if it's late at night, it's late at night. Like I said, there. My whole point of this is that I don't I'm not, I don't want to tell you what to do, what you should do. That that is not the point. Is is how do you figure out for you how are you gonna thrive and be your best? That's the whole point, right? Also. Uh, that works really well because distractions and multitasking actually take away from the thing. Yep. People don't do anymore. Right. There's no way you're not going to be able to do one of these if you're not moving into the thing. Yeah. Completely not distracted, completely focused on one thing for up to 20 to 30 minutes at a time. Correct. Great point. You know, so having that time, I mean, we think about it from a Christian life, quiet time your private time, your time of reflection, right? So one of the biggest ways that this can be done is during prayer. There is a reflective aspect of prayer, okay? You look in, in Psalms, there's a couple instances in the beginning of, of David's Psalms that he'll say, search me, O Lord, and try me. What are we doing? We're trying ourselves, right? Now, we can do that through prayer as well. Okay, and and go through this. So if you're if you're struggling to identify where's the source of this stuff, that could be a great part of your prayer life and your devotional life of working through some of these and use this process. Let me search alternatives. Let me see what is in scripture. Because we might believe as a Christian, but we might not have our thinking the way that and we need to read other things and read the Bible and look at different perspectives, and it might take time. You know, it's one of the things I always like to do is if I read something or I get on a topic, I'll identify what's the continuum of how people, you know, think about this topic. And I will look at, you know, one side, the middle, and the end. And that way I look at it and I can get a good perspective of what are all of the arguments and then I can make my own judgments from there. I mean, you can do the same thing with the Bible. There is a million interpretations of Bible verses and Christian theology and all of those things, you know, and the way that it's been done. And so we need to be, it's important for us to look at all the different ways and make good informed, and that's what it's about, making good informed decisions, not making decisions based on our unconscious biases, knowing what the source of our influences are. Right? And that's what will allow us, I believe, to live a true, authentic life that we can flourish with. Sound good? So I thank you for your time. I know this is a challenging piece. I encourage all of you to continue to practice this. Put this, this can be as part of your Christian discipline to continue to grow. And um, look forward to it. Thank you. All right. I'll make available um, his full PowerPoint and those sheets. Um, I can see myself putting that in my files and downloading it about it every time I have a new topic and walking through that process and that, that uh, helping me make the right choices. Um, my books are for sale over there. Please partake. If you want to sow into Jason's ministry, right here, works. He'll, we're going to do an offering tomorrow for him. And... Uh, I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate your insight, 
but I, I think probably as your dad, I appreciate um, the lifestyle that you have put into effect, not just a bunch of rhetoric. And I appreciate that. Go and sin no more.